This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Welcome to WTS Waikato, a radio show and podcast taking a look at the quirkier people, groups and interests in the region. I'm producer Gary Farrow. Beekeeping is a $5 billion industry in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Honey and bee products make up part of this, but bees themselves are also critically important for the agricultural and horticultural sectors. But beekeeping isn't just relevant to industry. You and I can also do it at home. Dara Dimitrov leads a beekeeping night class at Kitty Kitty Dye Hamilton's Fraser High School, and she's going to tell us a bit about it. Oh, my little honeybee, I'm so glad you saw me. You become my weakness. Now I got your sweetness all up in my hair. Honeybee, I swear, we make quite a pair. Oh, my so I come from a family of beekeepers and I lived in Europe for a long time and um, when I stayed with my um, aunt and uncle in Senegora, which is like Montenegro, and he is a beekeeper um, and I caught my first swarm and I was totally hooked. <laughs> so that was it. I was totally and utterly, I thought, oh man, this is so cool. Um, and then when I came back to New Zealand, my brother's also a beekeeper. Um, quite a few people I know are beekeepers. I said to my children, I'm going to have a beehive. And then my daughter, who was eight at the time, she rang me up and she said, Mum, Mum, your bees have arrived and a swarm arrived in our tree outside in the garden. So you said you caught your first swarm. How did that happen? How do you actually get started at the very beginning? It's actually really simple. I wish I could say it was difficult, but it's not. It's really simple. Um, you do need a mentor of some sort if you've never kept bees before. Uh, and so I work, I'm part of the Waikato Domestic Bee Association. Uh, and so we work uh, together. I have, uh, I actually run courses from the introduction to beekeeping all the way to level four queen rearing um, so I do level three which is we work with me in beehives over the whole season and then level four is really about raising queens what I try and do is they come into the adult community education space which is terrific there's two classes that run there um, and then they, I bring them into the Waikato Domestic Bee Association um, and they find a mentor um, and then, you know, they join this group of really weird people right, who mm. keep bees and there's a lot of us, so I'm not kidding. I think there's about three or 400 active members of the Waikato Domestic Bee Association. These adult education classes at uh, Fraser High are just the very, very uh, tip of the iceberg, aren't they? It's the introduction. So those classes are night classes, so clearly we're not in beehives. Uh, they're eight-week courses, and they come in, 
And in that eight weeks, they do a speed dating introduction to beekeeping. Um, and I always, I really enjoy it. Obviously, I really enjoy it because um, I always ask how many of you just want one beehive and pretty much the whole class puts their hand up. And then I see them at the club, at the club nights. And I, I honestly, there is hardly a soul that has one. I warn them as soon as their bees swarm, no matter what their plans were, they're not letting anyone else have those bees. <laughs> when the honey don't come, when the honey don't come, when the honey don't come, we're making beelines to hit. you become completely involved in it seduced i think i always tease my students and say that before i did beekeeping i was really into shoes and handbags and now i sit and i I'm, i even this morning is a really good example i was watering my pots and i'm thinking right i need to pick up 100 kilos of sugar i need to <laughs> because you're constantly thinking about you know what do your beehives need so yeah it's it's a it's very seductive it's really it's a really good hobby too. It, there's, um, you know, you, you can do it either in a, you know, in, by yourself, or you can join the club like you know a lot of people do. And um, and there's a lot of camaraderie. There's quite a lot of social things that go on around beekeeping. It's pretty cool. How do you get started at the very beginning? Like when you get a when you get a swarm and you get a hive. Um, there are there'd be a lot of other steps involved to establish a a hive system. So in the introduction to beekeeping, I try and get people to come to the class before they've got a beehive, but that's not always the case. Um, you know, as I said, you know, a swarm can come into your um, into your garden, or you know, you get you get free bees, is what I call them. Um, and I have my my students practice. If somebody rings you and says, I've got a swarm, everybody says, yes, I'll have that swarm. Because <laughs> if they don't want it, I can always find somebody who does. Um, and then in that introductory class, so last night actually was on queens and swarming, um, I teach them the fundamentals of how to collect a swarm. But in that whole eight weeks, they learn how a hive is made up, they learn what materials they need. I um, show them where they need to, um, what they need, and then there's a, a huge variety of suppliers now in New Zealand. Um, and um, you know, and we go through each each week as a different step to that beehive. Um, you know, right from the beginning of the historical context all the way to honey harvesting, pest and diseases, their legal obligations because. There are legal legal obligations to keeping a beehive. You can't just plonk it in your garden and she'll be good. Um, so we do the whole gambit right in that eight weeks. That's usually sufficient to hook everybody. I think in the years that I've been teaching beekeeping, I've only had two or three students that have not wanted to have bees at the end of it. So That's awesome. How much of the work of establishing the colony 
do the bees put in at the beginning does it require a lot of micromanagement from the beekeeper good question so swarms by their very nature are very hard-working bees um, because before they actually swarm um, what happens the first swarm of the season so this happens normally between um, mid-September to about December um, but depending on the weather it's all weather reliant um, what will happen is the queen in that hive will shrink her butt down so she can fly um, and the queen pheromone gets very thin in the hive and the population of the hive is quite high um, and she signals to the bees that she will swarm. Now I try and caution my students against swarming because it's a public nuisance and the council's not keen on it mm. um, but when she decides to swarm which is normally on a lovely day around 11 o'clock between 11 and 2 o'clock she'll hit the sky and all the bees have filled their honey stomachs up with um, food and they'll hit the sky and they're very very docile so when you see a swarm they actually um, you can stand in the middle of them they're not interested in you at all they just will follow that queen and as soon as she settles on a branch or on a wall or something they'll cluster around her immediately to protect her um, and then your role as a beekeeper is to try and get them into a, a box um, or box them up and we have a really strong community of um, sustainable beekeepers in the Waikato now. So, you know, they particularly want swarms because they can dump that swarm straight into a top bar hive, which isn't your regular square box landstroth that you would see in the, in the farms or um, commercial beekeepers use them. Um, but we have a lot of sustainable beekeepers in the Waikato and they need swarms to go on that and you just put them in there. Those bees will work incredibly hard. They will draw out the comb. They will um, try and get that queen laying as quickly as possible uh, because it takes 21 days for a worker bee to be born and they only live about 60 days but in the summer they may only live about 35 or 40 days so depending on what the weather's like and how hard they work so you'll find a swarm will even fly if it's a bit drizzly um, they will hit the sky and, and go out and work as quickly as possible to get that hive running up as a beekeeper there's honestly you come to the club there's a lot of camaraderie and it's very competitive and so some people will tell you you need to feed that hive and give them some sugar syrup and um, you know give them some pollen patty and get them up and running quickly as possible some will tell you no nope, that's a load of rubbish you don't need to do that <laughs> don't listen to Dara she has no idea what she's talking about um, and then you'll have other people um, I personally if I pick up a swarm I pretty much requeen that swarm uh, within two to three months because that initial queen, that primary swarm, is the old queen. So you don't know how old she is. Um, she might she might get PMS within you know six months. So you really want to requeen those swarms as you know after they've got the hive up and running. How does queening work? 
in the first place? How does a bee develop the sort of the destiny to become the queen? Yeah, so that's a good question because if you've got a bunch of bees, it doesn't matter how big it are. So a swarm will have about twenty-five to 30,000 bees in it. Um, it doesn't matter if you've got twenty-five to 30,000 bees. If they have no queen, that is a bunch of homeless bees. They cannot survive. Um, and bees, by their very nature, are eusocial. Um, there's only one uh, female in that bunch which is the queen, that will lay fertilised eggs. Now, worker bees can lay eggs, but they're unfertilised because they never take a mating flight. Um, so having a, not just any old queen, but a good quality um, breeder queen is critical for your hive. Um, so we spend a whole evening on queens, basically. Um, and... It's really important that you get a queen that's a robust layer. She's, um, you know, has good temperament. You don't want bees that are stingy or chase you around the garden. Um, mm. And you can get some that are a little bit, if they're a little bit darker, they tend to be a little bit more feisty. Um, they tend to, so I always say bees are not aggressive, they're defensive. They try to protect the hive. So you want a queen that is gives you good temperament bees she's a good layer she lays throughout the season you want bees that are uh, good honey gatherers um, they're pretty hygienic so that if there is anybody sick or poorly in that hive they buff them out so you know you have a, a, a strong hive so I spend quite a bit of time teaching my students about the um, importance of having a good quality queen. So how do you get one? Um, you can buy them from queen breeders and we have some of the best queen breeders in the white couple. Uh, so we have um, one that's out at Otrahonga and he breeds about 25,000 queens a year, exports them. So I, I have contrived relationships, so I make sure I get good quality queens. Um, I will. I've travel. I travel up north normally to a, um, a friend of mine who runs about three and a half thousand hives, and he has a breeding program for queens. So I get my queens from him. Now they they come in three ways. You can buy a queen cell, which means you have to keep that. It's a grafted queen that you have to keep that cell warm or she'll die. And you put that in your hive, so you can do that. You can um, get a virgin queen, which is one that's hatched out, and you put that in your hive, or you get a mated queen. Um, they all cost money. <laughs> They're not cheap. This time of the year, you're not going to get much change out of 100 bucks for a mated queen. Um, it would be extremely difficult to get a queen at this time of the year because it's, you know, we're in the cooler months of the year. So is a queen destined to be the queen from when she hatches? Is there a genetic sort of there is a, trigger? Um, there is a, it's a feeding trigger. So it has to be a fertilised egg to start with. Can't be a non-fertilised egg. So drones are laid from uh, non-fertilised eggs. 
what they do, the bees will do, is the, um, if there is no queen, and they know that pretty quickly, within about two to four hours, there's no queen pheromone in that hive. Um, and they get very agitated and upset because they realise that, oh my gosh, we don't have a mama in this hive. And they will start building queen cups immediately. And that would be an emergency queen. But in the spring, they're swarm cells. So they build them all along the bottom of the frames. Um, and they will raise their own queens. And But they what they do is they're down-facing they like a little peanut down-facing cell and they will only feed that larvae royal jelly. She's the only one in the hive that will have royal jelly all her life. And just more recently, there's been research that has um, established that the food that gets fed to worker bees, the makeup of it prevents those bees from laying fertilised eggs, prevents them from actually developing into queens. What makes up the royal jelly? There's like three or four main chemicals in the royal jelly. It's like a juvenile hormone. So when the queen is first born, it takes 16 days for her to be born. A worker bee takes 21 days. So they are larvae, and then after the third day, the worker bees and the drones get fed pollen bread, which is a combination of pollen and honey. Um, and the queen bee only gets fed royal jelly. By day eight, they cap, they're capped, they send out a signal, and then they will pupate. Now, drones take 24 days to hatch, worker bees 21 days, and queen bees 16 days. Now, if the weather's warm, they can be born in 14 to 15 days. So I'm always telling my students in spring, you're checking those hives every 10 to 12 days because the last thing you need is your hive to swarm. So going back to the queen, the queen itself, if you feed her anything other than royal jelly, she's a worker bee, she's not a queen. So she develops quite differently from the others. She's a bigger bee with a longer an abdomen and she has uh, her reproductive organs are different from the um, worker bees in that she needs to store packets of sperm. She's got a little sack within her where she, she has to mate. I always tell the students this is the one time you're going to encourage promiscuity. <laughs> she needs to mate with a good 17 solid drones, right? The more um, drones she mates with, the better queen she'll be. Um, if she mates with, um, you know, anything less than 10 to 12, they know that and they'll get rid of her. Half a bee, philosophically, must ipso facto half not be. But half the bee has got to be a vis-a-vis -vis its entity. Do you see? But can a bee be said to be or not to be an entire bee when half the bee is not a bee due to some ancient injury? The fastest growing group within the apiculture industry is actually the hobbyists. Right, yes. Like, so actually effectively contributing to the agriculture industry. Correct. So within Hamilton CBD, there's more than 500 beehives registered. 
And so that's interesting to talk about as well because I heard from Ivan down at Navarra Lounge who I was speaking to the other night. He receives some honey from a local beehive and it has a sort of a registration number attached to it so they can track where the honey came from and any potential um, problems with the honey. Keeping the bees and keeping them alive and keeping them healthy is what I teach people, right? I teach people about healthy beehives. But the thing that, I mean, I, I spend the whole time smiling around beekeeping because I say to my students, how many kilos of honey do you think you can get off your hive? How much can they? Depends on how happy the, the beehive is and the position it's in. But you could get up to 100 kilos. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> right, most people are getting between 60 and 80 kilos. One honey box that you, if the bees fill it up, is around 35 to 40 kilos of honey and a good healthy hive in a good position will probably fill two honey boxes a season. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> That's yeah. so much produce. It's 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 a beautiful gift. Um, you know, like it's... I don't do honey now because my children are, are growing up and left home. You need strong arms to do honey. That's the the reality of lifting those 40 kilo boxes i always say to people if you haven't seen your stomach muscles for a while you better start practicing (laughs) because it's a terrible shock when you go to lift a honey box i i think that the best gift you can give people is a jar of honey so i used to put a post up on facebook saying free honey and i'd leave a a tray of jars of honey at my front door and I'd come home and my friends had left me carrots and biscuits and (laughs) yeah it's a lovely gift it is and and it's you know it's from your home looking at people keeping bees at home uh, you mentioned before that council doesn't particularly like bees swarming or I suppose there's a lot of considerations to be made and either unofficial or official consents to be uh, gained if you're going to have beehives? So I've just just been involved with the submission to WIPA Council, District Council, about beehives. Actually, New Zealand councils, for the most part, are very, very positive about beekeeping. They want people to have beehives um, and they try to make it happen for for the beekeepers. WIPA was an interesting case because uh, they used the Resource Management Act um, as a tool to, uh, before people could get hives, they had to get a resource consent through WIPA council. The funniest thing, when I went to the submission, they they had discovered over the last uh, period that they only ever had one application. (laughs) (laughs) just one person applied for a resource consent and that was because it was $1,200 right and I was like oh my gosh so I made a submission because I work at the law school actually teaching and um, I was like why are we doing this because beekeepers have to be registered Um, their hives have to be registered they have to be registered um, to keep their hives through the AFB um, organisation in New Zealand it's the law 
um, why would you pay $1,200 to the council? So people weren't. They weren't. But the, the irony of the situation was the councillors on the morning that they were having the hearing for the submissions, they went to Te Amuru Primary School to look at all the illegal hives that are, <laughs> <laughs> that are kept there. So um, you do have to be registered to have a bee, beehive and you do have to take care of it and that's why they, I'm pretty sure nearly all the bee clubs across New Zealand run some sort of introductory um, course for new beekeepers. So you know what you need to do to keep them alive and healthy. Yeah. Mm. Just lastly, Dara, how can people get involved with um, uh, future iterations of the class at Fraser into beekeeping? So um, there's two ways, right? Um, so the, the Fraser High School does two classes. One's an online class um, and one's a face-to-face class. And it's on Tuesdays and Thursday nights um, is when we have it at 7, seven o'clock, whether it's online or not. And you can go to Fraser High School Adult Community Education and look up practical classes and beekeeping is in practical, practical classes. If people already have a hive um, or they got a swarm and they managed to buy a, a kit set and put, set it all up, they want to learn more. Um, I teach level three beekeeping and um, they can just Google Dara Dimitrov or just Dara and, and beekeeping or contact the Waikato Domestic Bee Association um, and um, they can enrol in level three. Um, and level four is queen rearing. So you would have had to have been a beekeeper for at least a year before you can do the level four because you need to understand the nature of the beehive. At the moment, the level three and the level four courses are free. Wow. Yeah. That's a gift. Oh, I know. Thank Auntie Jacinda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're free. And as part of that, the, both those courses, um, you get all the textbooks free. So you get the New Zealand beekeeping book. You get the Varroa mite book. Um, and you also get the AFB book. If you do level three, you also get, a, you learn how to build a hive. The hive you build, you keep. Um, and then I help you to get bees to put in those. So it's a pretty cool course. I have, um, it's got limited spaces because obviously um, we can't have an open um, day on it but there's only 14 spaces on each course and there's two level threes and one level four um, and it's on a Saturday or a Sunday for a, a couple of hours and then we zoom and we um, do online lecturing but yeah it's and you make such good friends so we're just coming to the end of the level threes and the level fours just this week and we're going to the pub on Friday night. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Thanks, Dara Dimitrov, for being the subject of this episode of WTS Waikato. If you liked what you heard, you can like the show on Facebook or find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Free FM, the Community Access Media Alliance, and New Zealand On Air for making this show happen.
more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices, or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.